Texas defends its position that the state is under invasion at the border. The federal government continues to fail us. The governor has a duty and obligation to protect the citizens of Texas. The debate on Capitol Hill and reaction from the community caught in the middle. Top Democrats running for Senate meet on the debate stage. They have different messages for voters, how that's resonating as they race to be the one to take on Ted Cruz. A win and a loss in court for Ken Paxton as he tries to end the whistleblower case against his office. Although the attorney general is saying they won't contest the facts in our lawsuit, they're still actively denying them. And so they can't have it both ways. The moves that kept him from testifying under oath while keeping the case alive. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. The situation at the Texas border is drawing more attention from people and politicians around the country. This week, a caravan of citizens traveled across the country to the border. The group of a few hundred people rallied in Dripping Springs near Austin Thursday night. Friday, many of them made the drive to a spot near Eagle Pass. Their plans to pray and protest at the border drew support and counter protests along the way. Governor Greg Abbott will be in Eagle Pass today. He'll be joined by more than a dozen other governors who support his efforts on the border. Some, like Florida's Ron DeSantis, plan to send National Guard troops to help prevent migrants from crossing into Texas. Abbott plans to speak at Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. Last month, the Texas National Guard put up a gate and sealed off the park's entrance, not allowing U.S. Border Patrol agents to enter. Texas leaders maintain that they have to take control at the border because the state faces an invasion, and the state defended that position Tuesday during a congressional hearing on Capitol Hill. As Monica Madden found, much of the debate focused on whether what's happening at the border really is an invasion and the potential fallout of using that powerful term. We need evidence for these claims that you're making about a danger. For some residents of Eagle Pass, the escalating fight between the state and the feds at the border is harming the community. The Supreme Court made a ruling. It's time for the state of Texas to obey the rule of law. Please help stop this invasion. In Congress Tuesday, Texas First Assistant Attorney General Brent Webster argued the state is within its authority by claiming constitutional self-defense. The federal government continues to fail us. The governor has a duty and obligation to protect the citizens of Texas. And when he sees harms coming upon Texas, he has an obligation to act. Throughout the hearing, parties grappled with what constitutes a so-called invasion, a key part of Texas's argument. One definition of invasion is an encroachment upon rights of another. It authorizes violence against them. And that is the truly dangerous um, piece of this language. Calling it an invasion, a definition typically associated with a military offensive, is something Democrats say is dehumanizing and dangerous. In the repeated cries of uninvasion, which is a dog whistle for the great replacement theory, there's deadly consequences to this kind of hate speech. Border community residents just want solutions that work for everyone. Obey international law when it comes to asylum seekers and to make Texas the warm and loving place that I know it to be as my home. Monica Madden, State of Texas. 
Monica joins us now. You followed this hearing. Walk us through the arguments from Texas Assistant Attorney General Brent Webster about why this is necessary and, in his view, constitutional. He really echoed a lot of the things that we've been hearing from Governor Greg Abbott, that this is Texas's right to self-defend itself from what they're calling an invasion at the southern border. Webster again pointed to the fact that um, he believes the federal government is not doing its job to secure the border and therefore Texas is left with no options and has to take these types of initiatives under Operation Lone Star to secure the border. But that conversation quickly then spiraled into defining what exactly is an invasion. Uh, folks were going back and forth during the hearing trying to nail down a definition since it's something that's typically associated with a military offensive. And that's when the conversation got more heated. Lawmakers were trying to ask yes or no questions on these very complicated topics. And Democrats raised a lot of concerns about the rhetoric of calling it an invasion, noting that that has led to violence in the past, specifically the El Paso mass shooting, where the shooter used the word invasion in his manifesto. This, of course, is all happening as lawmakers look to strike a border deal, but also the House is moving forward with impeachment of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Seems like we can expect this to be an ongoing issue for months to come, right? Absolutely, Josh. I mean, as we've been reporting on this program and in our other newscasts, this is a top issue for Republicans. It is one of the number one polling issue amongst their constituents, that base of primary voters, Republican voters um, in Texas, as well as in other states. So it is an election year. Granted, this has been an ongoing issue for quite some time. It has been um, decades since Congress has passed any meaningful immigration reforms that uh, a lot of experts say are desperately needed. But because we're in an election year, because this is something that polls so well with Republican primary voters, this is definitely an issue that we're going to be hearing about for months to come as we get closer and closer to November 2024, Josh. All right, Monica Madden, thank you very much. Thanks. Three candidates, one goal beat Ted Cruz. Democrats running for U.S. Senate meet on the debate stage. What we learned about their different strategies to win your vote. Texas law bans transgender children from receiving certain health care options, but now that law faces a challenge at the Texas Supreme Court. We look closer at the arguments and what's next in the case. The Texas Supreme Court heard a challenge over a new state law that bans transgender children from receiving certain health care options. It also threatens the licenses of doctors who provide that care. At Tuesday's hearing, attorneys for the state argued that Senate Bill 14 falls in line with the Texas legislature having the authority to regulate medicine. The statute is narrowly tailored to protecting children from interventions that interfere with their growth and development and have irreversible physical effects, all without proven mental health benefit. Meanwhile, the attorney representing doctors and families of transgender children argue the Texas law unconstitutionally limits their decision-making. In attempting to justify Senate Bill 14 in this case, the state has disregarded widely recognized benefits of the care that Senate Bill 14 bans and the risk of doing nothing to treat gender dysphoria. 
Our Will Dupree has been tracking developments in this case. How receptive did the justices seem to the state's argument about upholding this law and allowing it to still be enforced? You know, it's fair to assume that the state is walking into a courtroom that is on much friendlier political ground than probably anywhere else in the state. These Supreme Court justices are all elected by the voters of Texas, and they're all currently Republicans. Now, some of these justices did ask the state repeatedly about these claims that this law infringes on a parental right to decide the kind of best care for someone whose child is experiencing gender dysphoria, the state would constantly come back to this same answer saying that, you know, the state has an authority to be able to regulate what types of care is available here in Texas. And that is what happened in this instance. They are saying they state has the authority to be able to block uh, hormone therapies and puberty blocking medication for transgender minors as well as surgeries to assist in their transitions. But we have to point out that one justice, uh, Deborah Lehrman, who is the longest serving woman on the court, she did raise some skepticism about that argument saying, well, should doctors or medical professionals be the best arbiter for that choice to provide care for certain patients? And the state would constantly go back to that and say the doctors do not regulate themselves. And again, this is a responsibility the state legislature has and is exercised in this case. What did the attorney that was representing the families and doctors suing the state say about how this is a, the, the ban is affecting them? Yeah, I want to step back just really quickly and uh, give a bit of a general context. So there are a number of uh, LGBTQ plus advocacy organizations and civil rights groups who are supporting these families and doctors who are suing the state. They have pointed out that many of these families and others that are not a part of this lawsuit are having to go outside of Texas to seek this same kind of care for their child who is working to affirm their gender identity. Uh, we have also covered a number of people who have moved out of Texas entirely because of these kinds of political debates, as well as those who have left the U.S. entirely because of the debates not only happening in Texas, but also nationally. Well, looking ahead now, when is a decision expected from the Supreme Court? It could be quite some time. Um, I talked to a few of the lawyers who were associated with, with this case and they said that the Supreme Court would likely not hand a ruling down until, if not weeks, maybe even months. So this law remains in effect and it is affecting the care that's available to these families. All right, Will Dupree, thank you very much. A win and a loss for Ken Paxton in court. Why there's still a question of whether the whistleblower case against his office will move forward. Democrats racing for the chance to face Ted Cruz meet on the debate stage. Their message to voters and how the face-to-face -face debate could affect the outcome in the race for Senate. Early voting in the Texas primary election starts in just over two weeks. One of the biggest races on the ballot is the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. The race will determine which Democrat takes on Republican Senator Ted Cruz in November. Nine candidates are on the ballot. Last Sunday, three of them met on the debate stage. Congressman Colin Allred, State Senator Roland Gutierrez, and State Representative Carl Sherman. It's likely the only time they will go head-to-head -head before Election Day. Our Ryan Chandler brings us a look at the big debate. Well, every candidate on this stage agrees they want to unseat Senator Ted Cruz this November. But the debate drew contrasts between how they intend to do it and what they would represent in the U.S. Senate. So on November 5th, let's get rid of them. Race against Ted Cruz. It's about broken systems and broken grids. The top target for these three vying to become the first Texas Democrat in the U.S. Senate 
in 31 years. We have to make sure that we actually beat Ted Cruz in this election. I've got a record of beating long-term incumbents who nobody thought could be beaten. Front-runner Colin Allred running on a record of flipping his House district blue and working with Republicans in Washington. It's possible to work across the aisle. I'm the most bipartisan member of the Texas delegation. I'm a progressive and I do not apologize for it. State Senator Roland Gutierrez hitting Allred from the left every chance he gets. That's the way we win in November. Not by moving to the middle, but by inspiring every Democrat in this state. And State Representative Carl Sherman preaching unity as a pastor. I don't like politics, but I love people. Political divides opening over one of the number one issues of the campaign, the border. We don't need to have Democrats throwing our president under the bus. Gutierrez critical of All Red's vote to condemn President Biden's handling of the border. We don't need to build walls. We need comprehensive immigration reform, Congressman. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That was a tough vote for me. The status quo is unacceptable. And that instead, we do need to have a comprehensive immigration reform. And it's a crowded race with nine names on the ballot and nearly half of Democratic voters telling us they're still undecided. A runoff may take this race into overtime. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. We want to get more insight into the debate and the reaction to the candidates. We're talking to two journalists who moderated the debate. Joining us now in studio is Bob Garrett, newly retired as Austin Bureau Chief from the Dallas Morning News. Welcome, Bob, and congratulations on retirement. Thank you, Josh. We've also got uh, joining us via Zoom, uh, Jessica Montoya Coggins, the Executive Director of the Texas Signal Media Foundation. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you, and I also reiterate my congrats, congrats to Bob. Thanks, Jessica. All right, well, Jessica, let's start with you. You heard the candidates discuss a wide variety of issues. What were the biggest points that caught your attention? What stood out? Um, well, the first question that I asked was actually in relation to abortion rights. Uh, right now, we are at a time in Texas where abortion is essentially banned. Uh, these three candidates are running uh, very much on, on a platform of trying to restore abortion access. So I wanted to gauge how they would approach that. Um, they were all pretty much in agreement that they would go to larger lengths to do that. Um, but I was a little, uh, you know, they had some nuance there about abolishing the filibuster or uh, potentially expanding the Supreme Court. Well, Bob, what stood out as the biggest differences between the candidates that you saw? What stood out to you? I think the border and the Gaza-Israel war, uh, Josh, on the border, uh, Roland Gutierrez is the underfunded, scrappy uh, challenger to the front-runner Colin Allred, and he blasted him for voting for the January 7th Fox News resolution, uh, one being one of only 14 Democrats to vote for this resolution that was critical of Biden. Gutierrez said, you don't throw Biden under the bus. Uh, on Hamas and Gaza, uh, likewise, both Carl Sherman and Roland Gutierrez criticized Allred as being too pro-Israel in effect, to giving Israel too much support for, and trying to draw attention to, I think, as Gutierrez said, you know, uh, you can't bring justice to 1,200 by killing 30,000, meaning 30,000 civilians. So there was a, a clear difference there. Of course, Allred defending himself on both counts said, we need a border fix. It's got to be bipartisan. That's what I'm about. On the Middle East, he said, we've got to get the hostages out and you can't let Gaza continue to be a base for terrorist attacks. 
Well, the AFL-CIO audience was engaged, clapping and cheering for their favorite candidates' responses. Jessica, how do you think the audience affected the course of the debate? Um, you know, I think that this was, they were very, the audience was very excited. This was the first and will likely be the only opportunity to sort of see these three main challengers uh, for this race together. Um, it's always hard to tell when you're a moderator, your sort of back is to the audience. But I, I could definitely tell that the audience was receptive to some of state Senator Gutierrez's attacks. And then they also, I think, were showing a lot of support for Allred. He had a pretty memorable line uh, noting that, you know, he had union support, Chamber of Commerce support, and he didn't necessarily see, um, you know, a that it was a bad thing that he could tout both of those. Well, Bob, similar question. Do you think the audience had any effect on the way things went for the candidates? You know, I think uh, picking up on that, all three candidates, of course, supported the most important labor issue is the PRO Act, protecting the right to organize. They all paid uh, lip service to that. But you had Gutierrez hammering away saying, you can't be for the Chamber of Commerce and be a union guy. And that was, uh, I think, Gutierrez's emblematic of his whole approach to this race, which is to appeal to the progressive wing, hope that his, you know, even though he doesn't have money and isn't that well known, the, the Hispanic surname on the ballot will be enough to get him in a runoff. Well, this was probably the only debate before the primary. Did any of the candidates do a standout job to make their case to voters? Jessica, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think this was really an opportunity for these candidates to remind voters that there is actually an election coming up. Um, you know, we're we're coming in just about a, a month away from primary. Early voting starts February twentieth. This it almost feels like uh, you know this this whole election is a, a bit of an afterthought for some folks. So I think this was really a good time for for these candidates to make their case. Um, we know we've seen some polling that has shown Allred sort of going out into the lead, but there's still many undecided voters. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of undecided voters out there. Do you think this debate helped anyone make up their minds, Bob? I do. And I do think that the presence of the third candidate, Carl Sherman, made a difference. He is a pastor. He's older than these two other guys. It, uh, he, they were less vitriolic, partly because when you're around Carl Sherman, He's just such a good man and uh, above sort of the political fray. So I think that that was in a way helpful to Allred because it sort of reduced the tensions and made them all kind of soften their punches. And uh, But I, I obviously uh, a lot of the union people there were, were impressed with Colin Allred because they endorsed him. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Jessica Montoya Coggins is the executive director of the Texas Signal Foundation. And Bob Garrett is the newly retired Austin Bureau <laughs> Chief of the Dallas Morning News. Congrats again. Thank you to both of us for joining us. This truly is an assault on democracy, and he clearly does not honor the will of the voters. Ken Paxton is now targeting some Texas cities, why their policies on marijuana are leading to lawsuits. Ken Paxton was scheduled to testify under oath Thursday in the whistleblower lawsuit against his office, but testimony is now on hold after the Texas Supreme Court granted an emergency motion in his favor. 
Paxton's lawyers claimed that the Travis County judge in the case abused her authority when she ordered the AG to sit for the deposition. The lawsuit against Paxton's office was brought by former top aides who claimed they were wrongfully fired after reporting concerns that Paxton was using his office to help a campaign donor. One day later, Paxton's legal team appeared in a Travis County court to try to end the whistleblower case but the judge denied their request to enter a judgment in the case without a trial. Earlier this month, Paxton announced he would no longer fight the lawsuit, but he also maintains that he's innocent. Attorneys for the whistleblowers say Paxton needs to give sworn testimony to determine how much his former employees deserve. Although the attorney general is saying they won't contest the facts in our allegations, or excuse me, the facts in our lawsuit, they're still actively denying them. And so they can't have it both ways. Paxton is expected to appeal the decision. He maintains that he has already been vindicated, pointing to the Texas Senate's decision to acquit at his impeachment trial. Hours after that ruling, Paxton announced lawsuits against five Texas cities over their policies on marijuana possession. The lawsuits target Austin, Denton, Elgin, Colleen, and San Marcos. Voters in each city passed ordinances to end arrests and citations for possessing small amounts of marijuana. Paxton said that's against state law. In a news release, he wrote, We don't allow cities the ability to create anarchy by picking and choosing the laws they enforce. The group Ground Game Texas helped lobby for those types of ordinances. The group's executive director, Julie Oliver, believes Paxton's move goes against the will of the voters. They passed with overwhelming majorities in each one of the cities from 64% of voters approving of the initiative up to 85.5% of voters approving of the initiative. And so this truly is an assault on democracy and he clearly does not honor the will of the voters. Oliver said a key reason the ordinance is passed is because community members don't want to waste tax dollars on low level offenses. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle, and we'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.